You're listening to The Lightwalker's Path with Serena Myers, the podcast that sparks real, raw, honest conversations about what it actually means to live a spiritual life. Serena is a sacred soul mentor who guides people to tap into their heart's truth so they can live their lives with purpose on purpose. Hey, beautiful. This is episode 18 of The Lightwalker's Path. I'm your host, Serena Myers. And once again, we are digging into our wonderful interview series that we've been having all of September. And this month, we're going to be chatting with Meredith Bissaker, who is a money coach and so much more. So let's just jump right in. Um, I am super, super excited for this episode because we are starting with bringing in um, different guest experts and experts in all kinds of fields. And it's interesting the way um, that these have kind of come up. So sometimes I get uh, requests of, hey, I'd love to see so-and-so being interviewed. Um, Sometimes it's my own kind of uh, energetic pull towards somebody. And this time was a Facebook post. So I was scrolling through my feed. I literally had zero interest in uh, talking about money because uh, like um, many spiritual people, it's not my forte. And I hadn't really thought about bringing somebody else in to just talk about it instead of me trying to be the one steering the ship. However, Meredith Bissaker has had a a long career in various forms of finance. And she shared this post on Facebook about a week or so ago that was talking about just like people and their blocks around money and the bullshit stories they tell themselves. And this is definitely a universal situation, but I see it so prevalent in the spiritual community. And I thought, shit, man, we got to have this conversation. We got to put it on the podcast. So here she is, Meredith. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do and, and, and why you do it. Cause that's kind of the magic you're making in the world. Oh yes. Well, thanks so much for having me here, Serena. It's really fun to talk about this. I love talking about money. I am a financial administrator and also a money coach. So on the financial administrator side of things, um, definitely not spiritual at all. That's like getting into the the depths of bookkeeping, accounting, and that sort of work. So uh, for example, clients will come to me and say, I haven't done my books or my taxes for two years. Can you help me get that sorted out? And I say, hand them over. I'll get them done for you. my current clients who I have on a regular basis, I help them with reporting. I help them look at the numbers that are coming out of their bookkeeping to see what story those numbers are telling them. That's really important. And then that's where the money coaching comes in because those stories that the money's telling them can help them decide, do they hire someone? Do they fire someone? Do they invest in a certain service? Do they invest in a coach, etc.? So it's a really nice blend of work that I get to do because I love the money coaching too. That can definitely move more into a spiritual side of work as well, which is a treat sometimes. Well, when you think about it, to be in business, and I, and I can actually say this because this is literally, this was my journey. To be in business and to be not filing your taxes and not doing your paperwork and not even looking at your bank account because you're afraid of what it looks like, mm-hmm. there's something going on there. Like that's when um, we need to explore those stories too, right? So that we yeah. can understand deeper like what the resistance even is. So what do you typically see in clients? Like why do they, why do they shy away from their numbers? Oh gosh, Serena, I think that there are so many different reasons. And I always like to preface this part of conversation with, because a lot of people ask me the same question with um, that, you know, statement a lot of people say, which is I've been there. I've had 
a terrible money crisis. That's where my um, journey to becoming a money coach came out of. I've had my times of being stressed out about money. And I've had those moments of, oh my gosh, I need to look at what's going on with my bank account and I want to vomit right this second. So, you know, I've been there too. I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect with their money. But I think you're right. There are a lot of people who uh, will completely ignore it. And in one of my coach trainings, um, we learned about money types. Deborah Price has uh, defined eight money types. And one of those money types is the innocent. And it's the ostrich with her head in the ground analogy, right? Like ignoring it. Uh, you'll see this in a lot of couples. One of the people in a couple will, one the, yeah, one of the people in the couple will be on it. You know, here's what's going on with money. This is how much you can spend this week, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one's just like, okay, that's great. Just tell me what to do. I don't even want to look. I don't care. Sometimes it's because it's being taken care of by someone else. So they don't have to. Um, I think a lot of the times, as you had mentioned, Serena, there are these stories that we've developed throughout our lives, these beliefs around money. And often what we're seeing in a current moment reflects that so-called truth that we know about money. So if our bank account is, you know, in a negative balance, then there we go. We've just proved to ourselves again, we're terrible with money. Um, other times it reflects back what we can't do, what we don't have, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it's really, it, there's this energy that money has, that we give it, that we allow it to have. It really can have such power over us. And I think for the most part, that's actually a cultural problem. I think that's just something we've learned from our families, from what we hear, what we know, the conversations we have with the people in our circles. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help people change those stories, change those beliefs, prove to themselves that they are capable of managing their money the way that they want to do it, and to set their own goals and stop setting goals based on what other people are telling them to do. Mm, that's really huge. And I actually find the same thing in terms of um, happiness and success. Like, I feel like there's all these different facets in our lives that um, we haven't actually decided what they are for ourselves. We've either like, you know, chewed up some propaganda that's been spewed out, or we're just repeating our cultural and, and social conditioning that we have basically let all these other people define these various aspects of our life. And we don't even really know what we want for ourselves. And in the entrepreneur circles, especially in online, and when it comes to money, you hear about like the six figure everything. And yeah. I can't tell you how many people I know who don't need to make six figures to be happy. In fact, like they live these really beautifully frugal lives that feel super on purpose, super intentional. They live in cities that are affordable. So, you know, you don't need to make the kind of money that you need in, in, in bigger urban centers. Mm -hmm. And yet there is this kind of shaming that if they don't want that six figure earning that something's wrong with them and that it's a limiting belief or, or some kind of mindset. So what do you think the first step is in terms of like reclaiming that um, ability to define for yourself? How do you even know when you haven't defined what, you know, your money goals are for yourself? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. How do you know when you haven't? There's a lot of deep work that's need, that needs to be done around that. Uh, usually, I think what happens is people just hit that point of no return, whether it's with their actual finances, maybe they, they have a lot of um, backdated taxes they've got to deal with, or they really just don't have money, they can't pay their bills, so they're in crisis mode. So that's kind of like 
kick in the pants. Okay, I've got to, I've got to actually look at this. Something is wrong for myself. Um, what happened was we had, a, we had our own business and my husband wasn't making enough in that business because I was on mat leave. Our youngest had, has autism. I couldn't go back to work full time and everything just came piling on, piling on, piling on. And I was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. What's going on? So anyway, things got better, but I was still very, very, very stressed about money. And I'll never forget, I was leaning down to pick up a sock off of my bedroom floor. And I was like, these, these are like feelings about money. This is, this is a feeling. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like bills are being paid. Debt's being paid down. We're starting to save again. Why am I so sick to my stomach? And that set me on this path of learning about emotions, money, how our brain operates around money, et cetera, et cetera. So I think sometimes people do unfortunately have to hit those points. Other people just get curious. Maybe they read something, they come across something, they've had conversations and they start getting curious about this and start learning what, that, that perhaps they've developed certain beliefs around money. Um, some people just stay in denial for the rest of their lives and that's, that's the way it is too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that willingness to even look at it, particularly if they are the ostrich archetype, mm -hmm. pull themselves out and say like, okay, I'm scared but it's time to get real. And ideally to be able to get in that place and to have that courage without the crisis kind of fueling it, I think would be ideal. Yeah, that's huge. Because what I actually find is that when people are in crisis and they come to me and they tell me they want to have, they want help, I think this is going to make sense to you. They actually aren't in a place where they want to take those steps yet mm. for whatever reason. And that's no judgment. It's just probably because they've been in this mode of survival for so long, they don't even know how to take that first step. They don't trust that next step. So it, it's better for me if clients come to me after they, they are just emerging from that crisis. Um, certainly people are always able to hit me up with messages, hey, what's going on and, and help them come up with some solutions for, you know, um, handling their money, decide where to go. But it's better when they're coming out of crisis or when they foresee something coming, like, hey, I think this is going to happen. I need a plan. Who should I go to, et cetera. Yeah, it's, um, it, in an ideal world, we, we'd hit it up before we went into crisis. I think part of that too, though, is that we, I, I can speak for myself anyway, I feel like most people have an, a knack for like different parts of us get on board at different times. Yeah. So head goes, shit, there's a problem. Yes. We got to figure this out. But the heart's like, I'm not ready. And the gut's like, we can't do this. And so it's like, we yeah. all like have an incremental process where, um, where we can feel really safe to yeah. consider that things could be different and then get the help. It's like this kind of layered process or something. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is I, I wish that there was so, there was way less taboo around conversations about money. I mean, I think all of us wish that actually, because we get out of these so-called holes way faster. There are so many people who are having similar or similar experiences as we are. And it feels good when we run into them and we say, you know, this is what's going on. You know, you just say that one little thing and someone else says, Oh yeah me too. And it's, it's reassuring. I mean, you don't want to commiserate. You don't want to get, you know, sit there and, and funny party. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to do that. But I think it's reassuring to know that, you know, we're not stupid when it comes to money, that we were, we don't need to be ashamed. You know, we don't, and so many people feel ashamed about 
their money, whether they have it or don't have it. Mm -hmm. Shame is so huge. And I think one of the beautiful things about having a space where you can talk about it and you'll see them in money masterminds and that kind of thing, um, where these conversations are being had, where people are accountable to their numbers and they're speaking about them comfortably. Um, and you're seeing this in entrepreneur circles, but you're not seeing this in the everyday person. No. Um, when we talk about it, um, the shame loses its grip, like shame breeds in silence, right? So as soon as we start to give voice to it, it's, you know, it's not some dark figure in, you know, that we can kind of see when we're trying to go to bed, you turn on the lights and suddenly, oh, it's just a pile of laundry. Like it's actually not a monster in the dark. Right. So, um, how do you think we can like normalize that? How do we do that without seeming either like we're having a pity party or that we're not braggarts? Because I know those are kind of the two extremes of what people perceive when they're kind of in their own money stuff. They see like, oh, that one's feeling sorry for themselves and that one's really full of themselves. How do we, mm-hmm. or do we just not give a shit what people think and we just do it? I don't know. I think we just don't, we need to stop giving a shit about what people think about us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I certainly am not going to go around and say, how much do you make? Well, this is how much I make and this is how much my husband makes. We're so much better than you. But if the conversation comes up about what we're earning, I, I don't even care what other people are going to think about that. They're either going to think my husband makes too much money and aren't I lucky because of this, or they're going to think uh, maybe I'm not making enough money for my business, or maybe they think we should be good. I, I don't care because mm-hmm. it's, it, their situation is so different than mine. And I don't care what other people are making or doing. If I can be of support to them in any kind of way, that's how I have friends as you probably do, as a lot of us do, who are multimillionaires and still get stressed out about money or still feel ashamed because they've got money. And I want to be that, that place where they can chat about it and talk about their investments and get excited about what they've managed to do. And I also want to be there for people who have lost their job or who aren't doing so great in their business or who are just feeling totally overwhelmed by their accounting, whatever that is. So I don't care. So I think by my not judging is I don't care. Such a terrible phrase. I'm not judging. I'm not judging at all. I think that opens up such natural conversations, but that's in the grand scheme of things. That's, I don't know. It's going to take a long time to get there. The more we in general talk about money and normalize it in our world, the more normal it will be. But I think it's going to take many, many decades, many, many centuries before anybody stops judging. And I don't, as humans, I don't think we're actually capable of that. (laughs) Yeah. I think the judgment may always be there, but if the normalization of the conversations is there, even if people are like turning up their nose in some capacity, the dialogue is happening. And I do think we're in a really interesting era right now where a lot of stuff is coming out of the shadows Mm -hmm. for conversations that weren't being had, not just around money, but shame is a big one in general and the entire me too movement. And there's all these different facets of things that were just like, everybody knew them, but they were kind of locked away. And right now it's like this, this light is just shining into all of those little corners and we're seeing, we're calling out all those piles of laundry being like, yeah, "Yeah, you're not a monster and you're not a monster and we're going to do something about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And again, it circles back to what do we want? Are we okay? Do we want to live in a tiny house? Do we want to be mobile, whether we have a family or not? Do we want that big house? What do we want? This is what we want. The best thing, Serena, 
this is such a great indication of what we want. Jealousy or envy. Mm. When we feel, I find at least my own experience, I don't like speaking for other people, but I find if I feel a twinge of envy, I check into that because if someone has a big house and I rarely, I actually rarely feel envy or jealousy. Well, envy is really the right word. I rarely feel it these days, um, which is great. It means I've come a long way in my 43 years. <laughs> but uh, I, I find that if I do have a twinge of envy, someone has that nice boat or someone has that bigger house, I check in. Is this something that I really want? No? Okay, then stop. Be happy for that person and don't worry about it or just let it go. If it is something I really want, how can I get it? What, See, what's the next? That's amazing to me that you're doing that because so often people stop at the envy. And they, and they feel the envy and then it goes right to judgment because there's that part of themselves that feels denied. And so they, ra they would rather make it about the other person because that's more comfortable than saying, do I want this? Do I not want this? What's going on with me? Yeah. And the fact that you're able to bring that next level to it, because I mean, the, the envy is natural. Like we're yeah. going to have that at different states, particularly. I think it's not just so much that you've come really far in your journey, but probably also that you're really secure with where you're at. Yes. Because you'll notice that envy piece is going to be super prevalent in people who aren't happy with where they are. Absolutely. But they, it's so rare to hear somebody um, take it that extra step and say, okay, what does this actually mean about me? And that's mm -hmm. really beautiful that you do that. Yeah. Well, it's very helpful to me too, because I've sat in those spaces of just, you know, judging and for many, 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 many years, it's only been something I've, I've hooked onto over the past five years, you know, that realization around envy. And I don't like feeling judgmental of other people. I definitely do feel judgmental of other people. I, I'm human, just like you said, you know, I can't get away from that. Uh, but it just, it helps me. I don't like those feelings of poor me. I'm never going to have that. I get curious when someone has something that they, that I really want. I get curious. I'll ask some questions. How did you get that? What did you do? Tell me about your business or your job. Did you save? Like I actually ask these kind of questions because it's motivating for me. When it's normalizing the conversation as well, right? Yes. So it's actually that's kind right. of beautiful. Outcomes full circle. Yes, that's right. And I do it in a way that isn't totally nosy. You know, I don't want to know how much. I don't want the exact numbers, but I know enough to ask the right questions. And and if people want to get, I find that a lot when I talk to people about money, even before I became a money coach, um, they do give me the numbers. Somehow I've got this like special power to get people to talk. They know what you really want. <laughs> That's right. I, I remember going to coffee at a friend's house and suddenly all of her credit card statements were in front of me. And she's like, what do I do? And I was like, oh, okay. You've come prepared. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be the conversation, but let's talk. <laughs> so I, I've been thinking a lot when I was preparing for our chat today about the, um, these kind of archetypes around healers and spiritual people. Yeah. I use air quotes there. Um, and even artists, actually, you'll always hear the term of the starving artist. Yeah. And there is somewhere, some story that someone created, some lie at some point in time um, that said that like spirituality means like humility means like a vow of poverty or some kind of whatever. Um, and to, and anything else is like an exploitation of your gifts. 
So when people are coming into this, whether it's just the social programming that they have or whether it's past life stuff that they've brought into it, because maybe they've been like the village healer and, right. you know, suffered and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I have these mantras like I serve, I deserve is one that really comes for me. Mm-hmm. And I also know, and I think this might have been in your Facebook post about like, often the people with the most money are the ones that are the most philanthropic. You, they're just not flashy about it. Uh-huh. So you can do so much good when not just your basic needs are met, but also your basic needs are met, but you know, everything beyond that. So when people have these beliefs around their need to be impoverished, to truly be spiritual, how do they shake that? How do they rejig it so that it can be um, nourishing so that they can be supported so they can go back out and do more good in the world? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about the creator, um, creator money type and it's yeah i know who knew i didn't know and coaches actually fall into this a lot Mm. of the time as well because they you know coaches can fall into that healing category it takes a lot of work because there's a dichotomy between the material world and the spiritual world and you're right like is that social programming or does it run even deeper and because i'm so pragmatic it would be very easy for me to just say hey you do deserve this. You need to survive, blah, blah, blah. But as a coach, it's not up to me to tell people they need to figure this out for themselves or figure out what's going on for themselves. So for every single person, I think it's a little bit different. Again, um, if people are coming to me or coming to other money coaches or therapists, that sort of thing, they've got to figure out what that story is and who's told it to them and what they want. Are they, are they sitting in this and not really looking for a solution or are they sitting in this because they don't have their basic needs met mm-hmm. because they're sleeping on mattresses on floors and not being able to buy themselves or their family food. Um, they're, they're wearing clothes that literally are ripped and torn. They're not be able to take, you know, you and I are in Canada, but our American friends can't buy themselves the medication that they need and that sort of thing. So it's, I don't say this lightly, it's so sad when people will not allow themselves to have these things. When they feel like they're a healer, they can't charge for that. What makes their skill any less worthy than what I do as an accountant or what a teacher does or if they're helping people? And I think that's actually part of it is I think sometimes they question their skills as we all do. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that also leads down, that leads to the social programming again. When it's so I mean, hard, when it's so personal. And I think healing work and art are kind of hand in hand here. Yeah. And it feels like you, when there isn't a distinction between what you do and who you are, it feels personal when people aren't buying, or it feels personal when you give it your everything and you're not making any money and you're struggling and like, you're, you know, you don't, you can't afford to where you're living. Like it's. Yeah it's hard to be able to create that separation when it is so intimate. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And when it's affecting your survival. As Absolutely. Well. And when it's affecting our survival, we go into lizard brain and then we can't even think of any solutions. Like maybe, maybe grabbing that part-time job right now is okay so that we can feel good about producing really good art or doing our healing work. So yeah, everybody's journey is going to be different. Um, there isn't that one thing that we can prescribe to help feel, people feel better about it. They just have to lock into their goals. I think that's the one thing we can prescribe and then figure out the steps to get there and be willing 
to know that it's not going to be a straight journey, but there's going to be other things that we need to supplement that work. So when you're working with somebody and they have these goals, but then they also have these beliefs underneath that say, this isn't possible or this isn't possible for me. Mm -hmm. um, how do you get them on board to kind of be able to champion themselves? Yeah, there, there's a few different ways. It depends again on the client. If a client tends to gravitate toward affirmations, and journaling and that kind of work we lock right into that uh, that can be very very helpful i love the idea of I, I don't believe that affirmations can absolutely change our lives but it does help us rewire our brain when it comes to money and anything else we do so affirmations journaling uh sometimes there's a lot of the time actually there's red flags and there have in terms of trauma and trauma centering around money especially so i will actually ask clients to go see a therapist a counselor some somebody like that who can do that kind of work coaches should never be working on um for lack of a better word issues from the past that's a counselor and therapist job there are therapist coaches that's fine but a coach should never be looking back and analyzing and trying to figure things out. That's not our job. We meet our clients where we are. We ask them where they want to go and then help them move forward from there. So that's why when we see as coaches, we, when we see those red flags, we should be sending them over to a therapist because coaching's not going to, they're not going to get anything out of it or they'll get very little out of it. If they're, if they're just pushing some trauma, if they're pushing anything else under the rug, that's, that's like the foundation of a healthy relationship with money is making sure that they've worked on that part as well. I feel like that's also going to open them up to have the willingness to get their head out of the sand about the current day stuff too. Like totally. It takes a lot of courage. And I think this is really overlooked, but I think it takes a lot of courage to deal with your shit, to be mm -hmm. able to get really honest about where you're at and what you want. Um, and to be willing to look at the really uncomfortable stuff to turn on the light and identify the laundry piles. I think that's yeah. actually, kind of a big deal yeah. and I don't think we celebrate it nearly enough no no well there's the whole stigma around mental health right and I think we're doing a much better job of having conversations about mental health and how it affects people um, and sometimes it, it comes down to a chemical imbalance and you just need to take some meds or again you're dealing with traumas from the past or, or other issues and the, just like money, the more we talk about that, if the two are going to come hand in hand, we're going to be a healthier society. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wish I could just go out and wave a magic wand and <laughs> normalize all of this, but we can't. But it, shit's dealt with. Everyone's just going out doing their thing in the right. world. That's right. And if we haven't dealt with our shit, we're going and talking to people so that we can deal with it. But you're right. That's very scary. Well, and I think there's a lot of people who believe that money itself is the problem. And if they just had more money, everything would be great. But then look at how many lottery winners end up bankrupt. Oh my gosh. That is an excellent point. There's actually this number. I don't know what the number is currently. Um, there's a show called Happy. It was on Netflix. It's a documentary. It starts off where he's saying, I'm, I was super wealthy. I had all these homes. I had this extravagant lifestyle. And now he lives in a mobile home park. He's not poor but he lives in a mobile home park because he was like, I am not happy. So he went and researched what makes people happy. And it's so interesting. I think the number is somewhere in the U S it's somewhere around $75,000. Once people hit the income mark of $75,000, more money isn't going to make them happy. 
-hmm. it's going to help them buy the things that they want, but it's not going to, to make them any happier. But again, that's a societal norm. We make more money, we'll get more stuff and we'll be more happy. When it's identifying stuff as what makes us happy, as opposed to happiness being an inside job. Yeah. Yeah. I know with, uh, I did an abundance exercise at the start of the year and um, every day she would post another amount in this, in this Facebook group and it would get higher and higher and higher. Like it went into the millions and you had to say what you were going to do to spend every single penny of that money. Oh gosh. You had only that day to do it. Like that was, oh gosh, you use it or lose it type of thing. (laughs) And it was such an interesting exercise. And I started to find myself halfway through getting really panicked. Like, how am I going to spend $10 million today? And I, I was really, I, I'm, a, I'm very left brain and right brain. So the two of them were kind of working together. So I wasn't just like, I'm going to buy a house. I was like, I'm going to buy this house on this property. And this is how much it costs. And, and I made it much more tangible that way. So I got a lot more out of it. But it was so revealing to me about where it would get stressful. Mm-hmm. And where even though I knew tomorrow the bank was not just going to get refilled, but refilled with more. And I still felt this panic of shit, I need to spend this fake money. To <laughs> you know what I mean? And also what I found really beautiful about it, like that was the panic part. But the beautiful part of it was to see where the money would go and how I wanted to use it and who I wanted to help and in what ways. And I was very clear about like not wanting to just write people blank checks. It was really an intentional use of the money. Right. And for myself, um, even who that money went to was a bit surprising. I was like, oh, look at that, Serena. That's really curious. <laughs> a little bit of judginess that goes in there. <laughs> but it was, um, I think the thing that was the most beautiful when I got to the end of it was that I looked at it and it was basically a souped up version of the life I live now. Like a super That's souped awesome. up because we're talking gajillions of dollars. Yeah when you're spending, you know, millions a day. Yeah. Um, but to have that reassurance of, okay, I'm, I'm on my way. Like I've got the, the formula now we're, you know, instead of making it for a family, I want to be able to do it for like an auditorium. Or whatever. Right. So yeah. it's, it's taking the recipe and making a bigger batch of the yes. stuff. And that was really interesting. And, you know, I don't, we don't really, unless someone decides to post a random abundance exercise on Facebook, we don't really get the opportunity to do that. But it was a very telling thing because you can use anything for inner work really. And that's what it was for me. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a very, very fun exercise. I've definitely taken some clients through that as well. And I've done something similar myself. And yeah, it is very interesting how I, for myself, I recognize that i I stay very stuck in my ways when I spend my imaginary 60 million lotto max winnings. And I know that once I got comfortable having money, that my spending patterns would definitely change. But for myself, I'd probably hang on to it for a little while because Mm. I wouldn't be able to trust myself. So again, that's very telling. I trust myself now. Why can't I trust myself when I have $60 million? And and I wonder what that is, like where our capacity for trust in ourself lies. Right. Um, because it's not like you're not going to pay your bills. That's not a problem. Like yeah. what's, what's the worst that could happen? Like, are you just going to go hog wild and I don't know, run naked through the streets just because you can afford the bail money? Like, you know what I mean? Like, honestly, how crazy is it going to, is it going to go? Yeah. But we do have those things in us. We have yeah. those little markers that go like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's a bit much now. And I don't know if that's the same stories we talked about before about, you know, what it should look like, or if it's, if it's just that it's so far out of our immediate reach that we, we can't even 
like, it's not even just trust. It's like trust and disbelief in one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that the idea of having that much money, um, or actually winning that much money or earning more money, things do change. Things are going to change inevitably. And I think that's why we see so many lotto winners lose their money because either they're not prepared, they don't, they don't um, understand the consequences of their current spending or they've got other things that are, are going on. Uh, but I think also that change is scary and relationships change. Mm-hmm. Relationships very, very much can change, whether that's for the better or the worse, um, for better or worse, I should say. It's money, again, money carries all of this energy, but being aware of it is so helpful. So, so helpful. Like for me, as I watch my, my income grow in my business, I'm, I often will catch myself going, not enough. And I'll be like, ah, you know, compared to a few years ago, actually you would have been very, very, very happy knowing that you had achieved this. So chill out and stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Not enough standards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's right. So, um, and again, that's where in business, we, it doesn't matter if we're entrepreneurs online or whoever, we are constantly asked to set new income goals. I think that that's a great idea, but um, also understand that it's okay if we don't quite reach those. Set realistic goals, number one, make them stretchy a little bit and and create a plan and make sure that it's, that plan is realistic as well. But also maybe have a plan for, okay, if it doesn't quite work out, that's okay. What's the minimum I need to earn in my business? What do I need to do to make sure that's happening? And how can I move forward to achieve that next goal? Well, I think that's where we need that distinction between us and our business as well, or our work, if it's not, if you're not an entrepreneur. Um, Because so long as those two things are interconnected, then not hitting a goal, even if you do have everything met. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then that shame piece kicks in and this fear of failure and like, you know, I, I'm a shitty person because I didn't hit a goal that maybe was a little bit far out of reach anyway. Like, yeah, because yeah. we get so wrapped up in, in who we are and the money we make, like we've yeah. somehow made those things the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm giggling a little bit because for the most part, who even knows what our goals are mm-hmm. like We're working with a coach or we have staff or we've shared it with a friend who knows what our goals are? Nobody really cares. No one's going to go, there's Meredith. She didn't hit that goal for this year. Like no one's going to know. Or like all your friends are having coffee talking about it. Like, did you know (laughs) Meredith did not hit her goal this year? Like, oh my God, what was she doing wrong? (laughs) If I had friends like that, they'd be gone real fast. (laughs) Fuck those guys. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But it's so funny the way that we do that to ourselves act like it. And really what's happening is it's like all the shittiest parts of ourselves, all those beliefs that aren't even based in truth. They're the ones sitting down having that cup of coffee going, ah. Yep. Yep. They're those voices in the back of our heads. That's like that unconscious part of us working. And it's so hard. I think that if people take anything out of this conversation, understand that it's not, it's not going to be a simple switch and you're going to do better when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. Understand that there's going to be some work around it. Understand it's going to feel really good when you do hit those goals or when you achieve what you want to achieve. But be okay when you realize that this is going to be a little bit longer than you thought it was going to be. Those voices and those, those things that you've 
drilled into your head for your whole life. It takes, takes some, some time to change that. And again, speaking of change, change is hard for human beings. Mm -hmm. We don't like it. Well, and if we've had a whole lifetime enforcing these stories, we can't expect that we're going to undo it in a day. No, no, exactly. It doesn't mean we have to take a whole lifetime to undo it, but it no. does take time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And just be gentle. Be gentle and have a good, try to find one or two good support people to talk about it. And, uh, and even people who will allow you to have a pity party for a day and who will make sure that you come out of that pity party the next day. Yeah, the bounce back, I think, is really important. Yeah, that's right. This has been um, absolutely amazing. Where can people find you? Well, they can find me at pacificrockaccounting.com. That is where my accounting page is. And you can certainly message me through there if you're interested in money coaching as well. I offer money coaching as a separate service from accounting as well. So if people just want the money coaching, that's fine. And you can find me over on Facebook. My page right now is Meredith, the money coach. I'm working very hard with Facebook to change it over to Pacific Rock Accounting. So it's, when you hear this, it may have changed over. And on Instagram, Pacific Rock Accounting as well. That is amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your insight, and your willingness to just be really like direct and honest about this. Because I know this is a, a topic that, you know, people either avoid or they get so fluffy about it that we kind of just need like some honesty and like you brought it. So thank Good. you. Good. Good. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Serena. Thanks so much for listening and for once again inviting me into your speakers. This has been a really awesome and revealing interview series and we've got more episodes that are coming, some that are interviews and some that are just ramble sessions about what it means to live a spiritual life and they will all find you every week on Wednesdays. So make sure that you are signed up and if you would like to be able to be kept in the loops, so you don't have to remember to come back and pick up your episodes every week, make sure you head over to thelightwalkerspath.com and there you're able to sign up to get a monthly summary of everything that you may have missed delivered straight to your inbox. Okay, until next week, I will catch you on the flip side. Take care.